Episode 22. Make sure you check out last week's episode, episode 21, entitled Self Accountability, featuring the homie Kia. Very dope episode. Make sure you check it out. But this week is very, very interesting. Got a very smart brother on today as a guest. It's going to be very dope, going to be very lit. So, as usual, make sure you stay tuned, stay hip, stay connected. All right, we back. Like I said, had a very special guest today. Very smart intellectual brother. My man's brother, Umuwale, is on here today. What's up, man? What's going on? What's going on, bro? I appreciate you having me on the show. Definitely. So, my man's, uh, tell a little word about yourself a little bit. Um, well, basically, um, I'm 33 years old, born and raised in uh, North Philly. Um, I kind of got to where I am today um, via a non-traditional path. Right? I um, graduated high school like back in 2001. Um, but didn't go to school, didn't go to college directly after I graduated from high school. I kind of like, um, was a little more of a, of a knucklehead path, um, for quite a while, but then at about the age of 24, and I went back to school, I got an associate's in business administration, and, um, after that, uh, I went on to, uh, Fort University to, uh, get a degree in accounting, so I'm currently a licensed CPA, uh, in the Pennsylvania area, um, I started a career, um, after college with um, one of the big four accounting firms. Um, so that's kind of like me in a nutshell professionally, but um, personally, um, I've always been um, an organizer. I've always been, um, you know, fairly concerned about our condition as a people. Um, I've always had like a love for our history and just a thirst for, you know, knowledge and understanding. Um, a quick backdrop, you know, I moved out of my parents' house when I was like 17 or 18 years old. Um, and in Philly, there's this bookstore called Black and Nobel. Um, and I had moved, like, on a little block, like, right next to Black and Nobel. Um, but I used to spend a lot of my time in there just as a young man, just, you know, picking up books and gaining knowledge. Um, and that kind of was the thing that kind of, like, set me on my path to, uh, to to consciousness and just getting an understanding of who I am as a black person, who I am as a black man, um, and who we are as a people. Um, so, you know, professionally, you know, I work in professional services, but... Personally, my work really has always been um, for our people. Cool, so. dope, man. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so, 
I guess kind of start off a little bit. So you said, you know, when you moved out and right by the bookstore, is that about, about the time? I when, when, I guess, when's the time you, you start really developing knowledge of self and kind of coming into your own? I would say at about, like, 22, um, around, like, uh, I guess that's, like, around 2005, 2006. Um, I've always, like, even when I was in grade school, like, I've always kind of, like, loved history. And at that time, it wasn't, you know, just black history. It was just history in general. Right. Like, I've always had a knack for just, like, storing random facts in my head. Um, and I always, like, enjoy reading. Um, but in terms of, like, um, me becoming conscious um, around 2005, um, when I really started to like get into the community organizing, I was working with a group in Philly called uh, Men United for a Better Philadelphia, um, and I was basically working as an advocate against gun violence, doing organizing in that regard. And I, I, I uh, developed a network of mentors. I mean, a lot of these brothers had like you know they had a lot of time. I mean, one brother in particular, um, he had just came home from a homicide that he caught when he was like 17 years old. And he had just came home, he was in his mid-30s, and he just had, like, so much knowledge, right? He used to be putting me on to, like, all types of stuff that, like, I never even knew about or heard about. Um, and anything that he would mention, I would go try and find a book and read on it, you know, just so I could, like, converse with him. And that's kind of, like, really how it started for me, like, that desire to just learn more um, and kind of better myself in that regard. Okay, very cool. So, obviously, like you said, you have a passion and, you know, a strong interest in, you know, the betterment of the the black community, like I said, is very dope, and I commend you for, like, you know, working as an advocate against gun violence, because it's, you know, something very detrimental to our community. Um, so I guess from you and your experience and everything so far, what would you say, I mean, there's a multitude of issues that affect the black community, but what would you say, I guess, are kind of the ones that stand out the most? Um, I, I, for me, it really all comes down to, um, you know, just a lack of knowledge of self. Um, I, I think that black people lack, uh, lack a uh, historical consciousness um, and we also lack uh, cultural competency mm. um, because you have to figure like you know you know much of our hard drives are wiped out um, through the slave experience and you know picking yourself up after 200 not 200 some odd years of you know being reduced pretty much to like cattle and then trying to pick yourself up and and build from there you, you know you don't do that without you know some serious impact you know to your psyche um and who we are today is largely a creation of that um slave experience and i don't think that we've ever really had the time um to uh to to do that work of rebuilding um and repairing you know ourselves as a people you know and restoring our, our minds more importantly as an african people so i say that all our issues really come down to like you know a lack of consciousness a lack of knowledge Right, and, uh, and to that point, I definitely agree. I think there are some large just kind of psychological factors from the slavery and it's a trauma kind of embedded in us. Um, and I saw recently you wrote a very good article kind of talking about the kind of psychological repercussions and also just how the attack on masculinity that we see kind of is like kind of stowed away from, from slavery. So, I mean, kind of talk about your, your article that you wrote a little bit more. No, I really just, I, I really just wanted to delve into the white psyche um, because – you know, one of the things that I do is I, I refer to it as studying the white problem, mm-hmm. right? And at the start of the 20th century, right, W.E.B. W. Du Bois, he stands for this quote that, the, you know, the problem of the 20th century will be the problem of the color line. Um, and we know, like, you know, in the late 19th century or even, you know, the mid-19th century coming into the 20th century, 
much of the European thinkers and even the black thinkers at that time, they were all fixated on what they referred to as the white problem. And for me, I feel like when a black person is, uh, I'm sorry, they were all fixated on what's referred to as the Negro problem. And for me, I feel as though when a black person is looking at a situation called the Negro problem, I think that he's looking at himself through European eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think um, what we need to do um, as a people is look at um, the problems that we face through our own eyes. And when we're looking at the problem through our own eyes, um, we'll see that it's not necessarily us um, who, who are the problem, although I think we have the solution. Um, we, we'll be able to put the problem you know, where it should lay or where it should lie if we're looking at the right set of eyes. Um, I don't, what, what was your question? Because I don't think I answered it, though. Oh, just kind of in general, just kind of summarize, um, you know, kind of which article was, you know, speaking on and kind of like, you know, what your... Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so the article was um, me really trying to take a look at the white white psyche in terms of, you know, just the fear of black masculinity or fear of black manhood. Um, you know, in order, in order to subject um, a people, and you'll see this all throughout history, right? You have to have some type of severe punishment um, that are placed on, on the men of a subjected population. Um, and the reason why you do that is because men represent a physical threat, um, especially um, black men. I think that, that white men already know physically um, they cannot, you know, compete with us. So the only way to dominate and control that population, you really have to do it, do it through psychological tactics, um, whether it be trauma, torture, um, you know, a range of things that they, they did to us that were just, like, so wicked. And the problem is, many people don't know about these things because they've been whitewashed um, from the history, you know, but the brutality of that experience was so severe, um, and you kind of, like, have to go and do your own research to find out exactly what it was like. You know, the way that they paint it now, and they paint it as though, you know, slavery was, like, this benign institution um, where white people were civilizing the, the black savage from Africa and giving him Christianity and culture. Right. Um, but, you know, it was it was far from that. You know, but um, if, if you don't necessarily understand that, then you won't understand today why they continue to lynch us and kill us the way that they do and why um, the black man's image has to be that of a brute or anything that will justify the continued, you know, murder of us as a, as a population. I kind of like just wanted to, to touch on that psyche, which is why I referred to I referred to the article as um, um, America's fear or white America's fear of black manhood and why we lynch bad niggers. I mean, it's basically you know lynching or murdering black people is a tool to terrorize us, but to make sure that we will willingly accept you know the system of white supremacy. Right, and and I think it's very deep, and like I don't think a lot of people do understand the. The real psychological aspect, especially attack on on black men and masculinity, um, and, and how the white man has always naturally feared the black man and seen us as they 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 know subconsciously we're superior. And I'm not trying to start that whole we're inferior superior thing, but just from a physical aspect in terms of black people, we're we're here first. I mean, we are the creator originator of life, and there's always been that the jealousy in a sense. Um, so, what's your take on? Um, how do you feel about the whole the Willie? Go ahead. Let, let me let me let me push back back on you on that just a little bit. I don't necessarily feel that um, that any being you know um, on this earth is superior than another. You know, I'm a Garveyite, right? So I believe in the in the brotherhood of mankind. However, I feel as though the white race has not been 
brotherly, you know, in terms of their relation with, you know, races of color um, on this earth. I think that the issue that you have with white people is not necessarily that they're inferior. Um, it's that they never had the opportunity to develop, right? You have to remember that, you know, white civilization um, comes into, into the world at, at about, uh, I think about 476 BCE. About 6,000 years ago. Pre- um, prior to white civilization or, or Greek civilization um, coming onto to the earth uh, or coming into into the annals of history, uh, civilization within Africa had already had about 10,000 years of um, high civilization, um, culture, mathematics, um, cosmology, like you name it. You know, we had already um, had that for about 10,000 years plus, right? Um, and, and Plato actually writes about that. He has a, one of his one of his dialogues. He has a dialogue called Timaeus, and in that dialogue, he's explaining. Um, he, he's actually lamenting, you know, to their ignorance as a people. He's like, you know, when I come, when we compare ourselves to, to these Egyptians, we're basically like swine eating our own shit. Like, you know, he was just so sad of of their ignorant state. But that's not to say that white people have to remain ignorant. It's just that they've been they've been underdeveloped for so long um, and they have adopted some, I, w- I would like to say, pathological behaviors in terms of their relationship with other people on the earth. But I say all that to say that I don't necessarily believe that we are more superior than them. I believe that we are the elders on the planet. So in that regard, we are far more developed than them. So. Right. right. And, and I agree in that sense. And I, I guess I would more clarify in terms of the uh, Superior acts, but at the end of the day, we're, there's only one race, which is the human race. So, um, you know, we have to we have our differences, but we have a lot of similarities as well. And unfortunately, like you said, it's one side hasn't necessarily been as brotherly, uh, for sure. And and like you said, with like the Greeks and stuff, you you know, like George James is stolen his uh, stolen legacy. You can see, you know, like the Greeks and these uh, Europeans learning so much of knowledge, and information, and stuff. And like you said, you know, it's so much African stuff was developed, you know what I mean, for high, high quality society, you know, for thousands of years. Um, so on, on, in terms of Garvey, um, especially Marcus Garvey, through a lot of people, unfortunately, may not know. They know about, you know, Martin Luther King or Rosa Parks or, you know, these, these people they tell us about. But true leaders like, like Garvey, um, please explain for some people who may not know who's Marcus Garvey and what is his impact in the black community. Uh, Marcus Garvey um, was a pan-Africanist um, at Black Nationalist. He was the founder of the UNIA and ACL, which is the um, United Negro Improvement Association and African Communities League. Um, he founded the organization, and I believe it was uh, June of 2014. He founded it in Jamaica, um, actually. And he came to the U.S. in 20, not 2016, in 1916. He came here, um, actually... Uh, to meet with uh, Booker T. Washington because he wanted to talk to Booker T. Washington about Tuskegee Institute. He wanted to learn about how um, Booker T. Washington founded and funded Tuskegee so that he could go back to Jamaica and then start a school similar to that um, on the island. Um, But when he got here, Booker T. Washington had recently um, died. Um, And Garvey, while in Harlem, um, he had the opportunity to kind of like tap into that radical movement that was afoot already here, um, you know, in the States. And the thing about Garvey is he had a, um, an international purview, um, meaning he had spent time, he had, he had traveled all over the world, 
um, but he spent time in London. He was working for a paper called the, I believe it was the African and Orient Review that was founded by a brother named Deuce Muhammad, who was a black man uh, native to Egypt. And in that paper, um, the people of color all over the world were writing um, about the attacks that they were facing from white people um, with you know countries like America that were looking to colonize uh, nations of color. And these people of color were basically using nationalism as the vehicle to gain their independence, um, what's referred to as revolutionary nationalism. So Garvey, and having that insight and having traveled the world, he basically, one of the things that he understood was that the world was organized along lines of race. And the way that he figured that out was basically everywhere that he went, no matter where he went, the black man was on the bottom. And he noticed that, you know, this, this isn't because the black man is inferior in any way. This is by design, right? So he started to get that understanding of the system of white supremacy. So understanding that, he said, well, if the black man doesn't have a government, if the black man doesn't have anybody that's going to take care of him, then I'll create it and give that to the black man, right? So barbecue with this concept, um, which is referred to as universal African nationalism, which is really um, an outgrowth of the... Um, Pan-Africanism or the nationalism that we had like in the 19th century. Um, so the, the idea is essentially that all black people, no matter where you are, represent one nation, right? And the fatherland or motherland of that nation of people is in Africa, right? So it's similar to the concept of what the Jews have with, with Israel and what the Chinese currently have with China. I don't know if you know anything about Chinese nationalism because China, uh, China they had their revolution in 1911, which was also a revolutionary um, nationalist um, movement. Um, but the threat of Garvey and the reason why Garvey's works is always distorted is because the idea of having an African continent that is controlled, meaning the land, resources, and people are controlled by African people, that's a threat to the West, right? Because the West was built on the exploitation of the land, the labor, and the resources of those people, right? So that idea, having all black people across the globe working in unison as one people or, or as one nation with one common enemy was a threat to white supremacy, which is why um, Garvey um, is always basically distorted um, into, they basically try to reduce him to a back to Africa movement so that people can basically think that that was his sole idea um, but that idea in and of itself is even a distortion um, and, a, and a falsehood, so to speak. Um, so I tell people all the time, if you really want to know about Garvey, you should read um, his Philosophies and Opinions, um, which is a, a two-volume book of all of Garvey's writings that were compiled by his second wife, um, Amy Jacks Garvey. Um, and me, myself, I actually served within his organization at UNIA. I served as the president at the uh, international headquarters here in Philly. Um, it was only a brief uh, uh, tenure. Um, but nevertheless, I did serve, and um, I think that it has to help to shape me um, politically, you know, and socially um, as a Garvey. And and I think that's very dope because, especially Garvey, you know, one thing that always stands out was creating our own that that, that self sufficiency, um, you know, that 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 not being dependent on a system. And if I recall correctly, didn't they go deport him? Almost try to jail him, um, as well. What was that? Who, who tried to jail him? It was, well, with his, in America, obviously, he was not received correctly, but towards the end of his uh, career, wasn't he, well, he tried to attempt to jail oh, him yeah, or deport yeah, him? Yeah, he was, um, you know, they basically, um, 
gave him trumped up mail fraud charges. He was arrested in I think like June of 1922 by um, G. Edgar Hoover's FBI. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, he was convicted um, on mail fraud charges, uh, I think, in 1925. I believe he served two years of the sentence, and then Calvin Coolidge, who was president at, at that time, um, commuted his, his uh, sentence with the understanding that Gar Garvey would be deported from America at the moment um, that left, that he left the Tombs prison down in Atlanta. So, yeah, they did. Um, they did what they do to all our leaders, right? Mm -hmm. the, the object is always to um, to discredit, discredit, mock, and then and then and then silence. Ultimately, mm -hmm. that's the goal. So, yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't received well by the authorities here in America. And if uh, and if I recall correctly, I think Garvey himself was actually very critical of the NAACP at the time as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, he saw the NAACP um, as a, a basically a um, uh, what, did, what did he refer to it as? He basically called them race traders, right? Um, he saw the he saw the organization, an organization that was largely controlled um, by a Jewish element, um, and the blacks that were um, a part of the NAACP were really like a petty bourgeois. Um, a lot of them were like mulattoes, meaning they were very light or nearly white. Um, and Garvey had saw that. Um, the government was working through this organization um, in an attempt to develop um, a caste system um, similar to um, what they have in, in, in India. Um, and he, he wrote an essay on it. He called it an essay on I think it's like Negro Race Traders, um, where he's explaining that, you know, Du Bois is being used. And he even, he even goes as far to say that Du Bois may not be aware that he is being used in, that, in this regard. But I think Garvey had the eyes to see it um, because, you know, he had come from Jamaica where the, the color system there is a bit more entrenched um, than it is here in America, right? Because you have to remember the uh, what they refer to as the Creoles or, or, or the sons and daughters of the, uh, of the enslaver. Um, they were the ones that were left in charge, like, in that land. So the lighter you were, that means that you control government. And the darker you were, you know, you were basically an outcast, right? within the system of, of color cast. So. Right, and it's it's very interesting because you see, you know, years and years later, um, you know, with the NAACP, it's kind of similar to what I see with the Black Lives Matters organization itself, not the actual movement of injustice against, you know, African Americans, but the actual organization. In terms of you're having people con controlling and influencing the movement, and you have these figureheads they put in front of you, and again, they may not even know that they're being finessed and used. But it's kind of like similar to it in terms of it's not, it's not calling for actual um, change solution. More or less, it's like it's it's a grievance based, a lot of victimhood uh, mentality, and it doesn't seem to bring solutions to it. And like you said, historically, you know, you have these black leaders, oftentimes, you know, who are want to bring a change. You know, we're discredit it, um, you know, you're, you're put down. I mean, Gilscar Heron said the best. I mean, a revolution would not be televised. And today it seems like that revolution is supposed to be social media and does not appear to be true progress making. So with that being said, I guess, what are your kind of kind of views on like the Black Lives Matters or just kind of general activism in today's society? Well, I think that there's always been, and this is me grossly oversimplifying it, but I think that there's always been two streams of consciousness 
um, when it comes to you know activism um, in regards to black people, right? We've always had that separatist you know type of consciousness, which I guess has its greatest representation or expression in nationalism, um, and then we have that um, assimilationist um, uh, sort of um, stream of consciousness, which has its greatest expression in integration, right? So Black Lives Matter are what we would refer to as a radical integrationist organization. Um, but one of the things that you have to understand is that um, black people suffer from a severe identity crisis um, here in the West, right? And, and, and even on the African continent, right? Because on the African continent, the education has been controlled by the colonizer. So oftentimes, um, folks on the African continent know less about Africa or um, historical classical African civilization than folks here in the West do. Um, but I regress. Basic, basically, right, we, we that, that um, uh, identity crisis that we have basically means that we always start off at a point of ignorance. Um, so, so what does this mean? Um, this basically means, like, let's use the, uh, like the 60s and the 70s as an example, right? The average age of, let's say, like a Black Panther was like I think it was like between the age of like 16 and 24, right? That that made up the the, the body or the ranks of that of that organization. But these people who kind of like got woke, so to speak, and came into consciousness, they're starting from a, uh, a point of ignorance, meaning they know nothing about their history. And when I say their history, I don't necessarily mean um, you know pre-slavery or classical African civilization. I mean, their history as in, like, the 40s and the 50s, mm-hmm. or the 20s and the 30s, or, you know, the, um, the, the first 20 years of the 20th century, or that period um, known, as, um, known as Reconstruction, right, that, that lasted from, my, I think, Reconstruction went from about 1865 to, I want to say, 1877, um, whenever that deal was basically made when they pulled the troops out of the South. Like, put, my, my point is, we don't know anything about this history. And the history is key because this is a chess game, right? It's a game about you're trying to obtain power, right? You're in a game, you're in a game against an opponent. So if you have this opponent that you know is, is playing to basically kill you, right? But you, you haven't done any history to understand his moves and his maneuvers, then you're always going to be um, operating from a point of ignorance or weakness. And I think that's kind of like what Black Lives Matter is, um, along with every other kind of like organization that we've had that has spawned um, from that integrationist or radical integrationist um, state of consciousness, right? Because they're ultimately always controlled by folks outside of the community. Um, And when you study, it always happens to be like a Jewish radical element. Um, You know, one of those folks is a, a brother, not a brother, a dude named Herbert Marcuse. I mean, he wrote an essay in 1971. It's called an essay on liberation. I mean, if you don't know who Herbert Marcuse is and the, the 60s youth movement, he was very um, influential. Um, Angela Davis was one of his mentees, mm-hmm. um, but he was also influ- influential for people like you know H. Rap Brown and um, uh, Huey Newton. But in this essay on liberation, right, he's talking about the black ghetto, and in the essay he says that black people are are a tool for revolt and in the and I'm paraphrasing here but in parenthesis next to revolt he put not revolution 
and he wanted to make sure that he drew a distinction to say that black people in America are not a revolutionary class. Um, they're, they're what Marx referred to as a lumpen proletariat, meaning they're actually anti-revolutionary, right, because they are tied into capitalism. So he was saying, basically, they're a tool for revolt. So the understanding that you need to have is black people are to be manipulated via their emotions so that they can work for our ends, right? And I think that that's what you see with Black Lives Matter, right? You see them having an agenda that is everybody else's except ours because people realize that we're easy to manipulate and control for their own ends. So... That's kind of like my perspective on that. Very, and, and very well said, my brother. And, and it's very true. And I think that, uh, I think especially in today's society, with this younger generation, you know, people want to be vocal and be activists. And one thing that always kind of perturbs me a little bit is younger generation will say, oh, we're, we're not our grandparents. Um, uh, alluding to, that, like, during the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s and stuff, that these people somehow were, were docile. And it's almost disrespectful because, again, it's the ignorance aspect. I mean... I mean, many people may not know about, you know, the, the Children's Crusade in, like, 1963, a.k.a. the Children's March, where Bourbon, Alabama, thousands of kids left school and stuff to go march um, and protest, and they're arrested, and, and this, is, this is real, this is happening, and it's like, today's generation, I mean, y'all kids will never do that, and so when you say, oh, we're not... Well, I mean, I, I agree, right, we are not our grandparents, right, this generation is weak, you know, I think that we, we I think it's easy, right, to... Um, I think it's easy to, to look back and cast aspersions from a point of safety and integration, right? You, you're, you're saying this shit from, like, you know, your Apple computer, sitting in your integrated class at right. your predominantly white institution talking this crazy shit when you, you know, you probably didn't even grow up around black people, right? So for you, this movement, this whole woke movement was a way for you to put on the clothing that we know as woke or, or as blackness. Whereas though, you know, back in, come on, man, like, you ain't getting dogs sick on you or terrorized by the Klan or, like, you know, just terrorized by society in general. Like, you ain't, you, you, you're not even built for what our ancestors and what our elders went through in that period. But for you to look back and say, white supremacy can get these hands, it just lets me know that, you know, you're a coward. Right. So, and, and, and what, what you're seeing right now is you're seeing a lot of them running out of, out of steam, right, because they are so oppressed. Um, and what I mean by that, like, knowledge of how oppression works does not necessarily mean that you have to take on the oppression. Mm-hmm. And I think that this generation wears victimhood to the extent that it almost, like, um, it almost, like, destabilizes them. Like, it's mm-hmm. like they're paralyzed to do anything because they're just so mentally and emotionally weak. You know what I mean? So, um... I don't know where I was going with that. Like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm rambling a bit too much. But uh, okay. I was trying to make a point. So if you ask the question again, I, I try to get back to it. That's all good. We just don't want to just kind of the entire generation just kind of not grasping uh, the true reality of the situation they live in. And, like, I think we... Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of us have... A lot, a lot, this generation has battle fatigue. Like, real quick. Like, you see in people now that, um, you know, they, they got in this thing in 2001 when Trayvon Martin happened. You know, they kind of got woke... And now five years later, they're like, you know, I don't know if I can keep doing this. You know, talking about race is starting to get tiring. Like, and, and for me, that's always a staple of an integrationist, right? Um, they, they don't have what it takes to go at this thing for the long haul, right? Um, and the integrationists are always looking like, um, like for instance, um, Thurgood Marshall, when they got the, uh, 
when they got the uh, Brown versus Board of Education back in 1954, like he was quoted as saying that you know the schools would be fully integrated within five years, right? Because that's how integrationists think. You know, they they often think that you know this this uh, uh, reforming of white supremacy or of a white supremacist society is going to happen in five to ten years. Whereas the folks who are nationalists like myself understand that you know you'll never reform. Um, white supremacy, because we understand racism and we understand white supremacy, which is why there's always this push for separation, or what we refer to as like nationhood of death or, or death, right? It's that push to do for self, right? Like, how, how much sense does it make to integrate with a society that you say is trying to kill you? Or how much sense does it make to, to beg for, for sustenance from a government that you know is trying to poison you? Right. It doesn't make sense at all, but that's kind of like the, the, the illogicalness of, of that way of thinking. Right, and I, and I feel like in definitely in today's society, it's like, you know, people complain they were, you know, were oppressed and you know, were, were victims, right? And then you were oppressed by our government, right? But then they'll say at the same time, like, oh, complain to the same people that oppress you, fix our problems, essentially. And it's like, at times, you know, and I'm not saying this to be facetious, but I feel like some people just like, I feel like they just want like the white men hold a press conference and just be like, all right, I apologize for everything we've done. That's it. Time to move on. Like, it's. It's not gonna happen, you know. I mean, that's and that, and that's why it, it's like the tiring aspect because you guys, not you guys, but you know, people complain, complain, and they don't, they don't see results. It's like, well, because maybe that method is not working and not grasping the reality of the situation of what really needs to be done. Especially the integration aspect is very interesting because you know, integration from a social aspect of terms, you know, black and white have equality. Yeah, that, that's cool. I'm I'm down for that, but. Integration is, I mean, in terms of black businesses and black community, I mean, it was actually, in terms of economically, was not the greatest thing for us. Um, and so what do you feel about uh, the integration aspect and, and kind of how it put the black community? I mean, I think that we've seen, you know, like I said, I'm a Garveyite, right? And I'm a nationalist. So I think that we already see what integration has gotten us, right? I mean, I think Amos Wilson, he said it best. He said that integration will work as long as um, economically this nation is trending upwards. But once we see a, um, a recession or a downward tick in economic growth, then this nation will kind of like show you um, who it is. And I think that we're seeing that right now, right, with um, you know, um, this new economic way of, of life that is coming with, with automation, um, with artificial intelligence. White people are understanding that they are not going to be able to survive um, based upon the job market, right? So th- that's why you see them being a lot more aggressive towards others, and that's whether it's any others. It's just not those who are, um, you know, coming here from across the border, right? It's those that are here as well. Like anybody that is non-white, I think to some extent we don't see their things as much as we could see them in regards to black people, is because they already feel like we're defeated. You know, they feel like, you know, most of the men are in jail. If we're not in jail, like, our minds are just so fucking retarded that they don't necessarily see us as a threat. So they feel like, you know, we're going to die off anyway. By 2050, like, the black population here will be almost non-existent, right? This is what they have in in their mind, right? Mm -hmm. So the bigger threat is these other people of color that are flooding their borders. Um, And a a good book that kind of, like, that goes into that mindset was written by a, a, a dude back in 1920, I forget his first name, I think it's T. Lopework Stoddard, um, the book is called The Rising World of Color, um, the, wise, the Rising World of Color Against Global White Supremacy or Against White Supremacy, um, and it basically talks about the threat of nationalism, 
the threat of population growth and the threat of nations of color um, flooding the West because basically the West has robbed all the resources from those nations of color. So out of their hunger, those people from those nations of color are now flooding the West like for food. So he's saying like that's a threat to white supremacy, you know, and he predicted that that would actually lead to um, World War II, which it actually did. So it's a good read if you're looking for something to add to your library. Right, and um, I think it's very, very good take on it, and especially just in terms of just genetically. Uh, um, I mean, right now we white people have a, a negative birth rate. You know, I mean, they're, they're dying more to being born, and so it's definitely that you know protection of you know genetics, and and just not just you know white people. Every race does it. You know, what I mean, in terms of, I, well, think, I think that's the for me. You know, I'm a very spiritual person. You know, so ha- having. I think that we as African people have like that connection to the earth, right? We see the, the divine and everything. So I feel like, in a sense, like that, that may be Mother Nature, um, you know, just trying to cleanse herself, right? Mm-hmm. Because one thing that we know um, just from studying white people in their history is that they don't necessarily have a connection, um, that spiritual connection to the earth, which mm-hmm. allows them not only to destroy whole peoples and cultures, it allows them to also destroy the earth. Right, because they see everything as an object, right? White people have a very a materialist view, which basically means that you are no more than what they can feel, see, touch, you know, hear, feel. You know what I mean? Like if that, that, that's all you are, so if if that's if that's who you are, you're no more to them than an object to be controlled and dominated, and that's the way that they relate to existence. So that's not only how they relate to other people; that's how they relate to the earth. And in having that type of outlook and with the world currently being controlled by white supremacy, this is why the world is in the shape that it's in, right? This is why we're killing our oceans, we're killing our land, like, we're killing, you know, the food, the food sources, like, it's because they don't have that connection or reverence for the earth that, um, you know, people of color have had all throughout time. And again, I think that goes to white people's lack of development, you know, they haven't had time um, to develop, they've never produced a spiritual system and given it to the world. Mm-hmm. Every system that they have had has has come from outside of Europe mm-hmm. and come into Europe, and then it has left Europe as a conquer, as a conqueror to conquer other peoples. So right, and and I agree with that, and I think the spiritual aspect is very key. I mean, even just you know, um, you know learning about. You know, when these Greeks were in Egypt and learning the mystery schools, um, like Socrates, Plato's, it said, like, the, the Egyptian priests and stuff called them children because they could comprehend the, you know, mathematical stuff, the scientific part, but the spiritual aspect was just as important as any other knowledge, and they were not able to comprehend that completely. And so yeah. it, it's interesting, and I think it goes hand-in-hand. Hand. Like you said, you see so much destruction and everything happens in our society and in our world, and oftentimes because we don't have that that connection that we are one not understanding that the earth the trees everyone we are all one vibrating system and we're so imbalanced right now and it's yeah that that the the uh the what you're referencing in terms of the, the greek band children um that comes from plato's dialogue Timaeus, where he um plato is having a conversation with an athenian who was uh, relaying to Plato, or re- actually relaying to Socrates, right? Because Plato is writing the things that Socrates has told, has told him. But so this Athenian is relaying to him a story that his great grandfather told him about this Egyptian priest. Um, the priest, his name was, I think it was Solon, spelled S O L O N. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. But he was basically saying that, you know, you Greeks are like children. 
he was saying that is he was saying that ever so often, um, you know, the earth is destroyed um, by way of a natural disaster, meaning like by fire um, or by water. Um, and he says, and what happens is after the earth is destroyed, people basically have to start over with nothing, like no records, like no knowledge, no culture. So they're basically starting over as animals trying to develop into civilization again. But he's saying, um, so, the, so this Egyptian priest is saying, um, the earth has been destroyed hundreds of times. And the problem with you Greeks is you only know of one, which is the last one. He says, um, us, on, our, on the other hand, we, our civilization has been around for 9,000 to 10,000 years because we've, we've been able to maintain the records and the knowledge, right? So all the ancient wisdom, all the ancient wisdom that is developed through the mystery schools, which you start at a young age and go up until like you're 40, mm-hmm. all that wisdom, they were able to keep and store, whereas the Greeks had none of it, right? So they came into, you know, the annals of history from a point of ignorance, right? From a point of savagery and barbar- barbarism. So he's basically explaining to them, like, y'all are children. Right, y'all know nothing. And Timaeus in that writing, that was that was uh, Plato's attempt to deal with kind of like the spiritual or the more I don't want to call it religious, but kind of like the, the the concept of you know what is life? Like who am I? You know what I mean? Like know thyself type of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think the Europeans ever got it because um, dealing with that Socratic paradox, which is basically a nice way of, of talking about your ignorance. The way that they got over it was by adopting a materialist view. They, they basically said, you know what, fuck it. Nothing exists unless I can see the shit. And mm-hmm. if I can't see it, then it don't exist. Right. And it's like once you remove life, right, or that, that, that divine essence from the material world, then the, the only thing that you can produce with that type of knowledge is death. And I think that that's what the Europeans have produced all over the world it has been death. Yeah, and I agree. And I think just that, that ignorance and kind of conjunction with, like, cognitive dissonance. I mean, even, like, these Greek philosophers, like Plato's, Aristotle's, people, Socrates, I mean, they were they were ousted in Greece. They were not embraced. I mean, some of them were killed for their views and stuff. And it's kind of crazy to think about yeah, Socrates it. Socrates was, uh, he was sentenced to death for mm-hmm. corrupting youth. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. And he was he was anti-democracy, you know. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, but I, I kind of agree with him, like, the, with the concept of democracy which is basically rule by fools, you know, or, or rule or mob rule is essentially what democracy is. Like you got these people, all these ignorant people that are collectively deciding your fate. You know, he, uh, Socrates is saying, like, if we're on a ship, you know, shouldn't the people staring be the people who have been, you know, trained in navigation and have experience on the seas? Like, you know, what is this craziness where we got every man with his hands on the, uh, on the steering wheel trying to steer the ship? Like, it don't make any sense. Right. And, and it's and it's great, and you see it just you know, you know the cliche line, you know, history repeats itself. I mean, we see it all the time, mm-hmm. just it, in all type of government and political aspects. I mean, it's it's always that ignorant aspect, and it kind of is a big factor. Right, so, and, 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 and Krumah would say that history doesn't repeat repeat itself, but the mistakes of history can. Mm, you know okay. what I mean? Like we can repeat the mistakes that were made in the past, but history never repeats. <laughs> very true. Very true. Yeah. And. and and like you said, just kind of studying, and I think just the general knowledge itself. And I think going back to earlier, we we're talking about you know problems facing the black community and really just the ignorance aspect and you know, lack of knowledge itself and uh, and self worth. And it kind of goes in position. We kind of, we talk about Garvey a little bit, but uh, something you and I talked about briefly before. You know, you introduced me about the uh, Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations. Um, 
and I looked into it, and I didn't realize all my, my OGs that I look up to, like John Hunter Clark and all these guys are a part of this. I'm like, okay, okay. So I guess kind of talk about what, what was that organization about and what were their objective, objectives? Well, let's, let's, let's give that some context, right? So you and I, I guess we, we first met each other or introduced um, each other, I guess maybe about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when I did that uh, broadcast saying that um, uh, Hotep Nation was, uh, was white supremacy and blackface, right? right? So we had that conversation, and my concerns at that, at that, point, at that point in time was that I felt that, um, you know, you guys using the, the term um, HOTEP was basically um, doing a disservice to a, uh, a tradition that has been longstanding, um, and I mentioned to you that the organization ASCAC, the Association for the Study of Classical, um, of Classical African Civilizations, um, has been around for years, and they are still... Um, kind of in existence, and they are the ones who kind of like popularized um, the term um, hotep within what we will refer to as like the conscious community, which I don't know if even exists, but what people right. refer to as the conscious community. Right, so ASCAC, um, I'm, I'm not a member of ASCAC, and um, I think maybe similar to you, um, the way that I learned about ASCAC was um, basically from all those teachers who kind of like helped to shape my consciousness mm-hmm. were all a part of ASCAC. So if it's like a Wayne Nobles, you know, a Dr. Clark, a Dr. Ben, um, Professor James Smalls, Dr. Marimba Agni, um, Dr. Francis Crest Welsing, like, I mean, you name it, it's such a long list of African-centered thinkers um, that came out of that organization. Uh, Dr. Jacob Carruthers is another one. Um, um, so I guess uh, my... My, uh, my kind of like grief um, and I kind of shared that with you when we spoke on, on the phone was that I understand you know why you guys kind of like adopted like the term hotep for, for the movement and it was basically because you kind of like had the intersectional feminists that were online that were classifying anybody who doesn't think and they're kind of like way of thinking they were just bucket bucketing the entire black uh, community into this bucket referred to as hotel and then y'all y'all basically just took it and was like well then fuck it i'm just gonna call myself a hotel and, and i told you for a long time like i didn't say like anything about it i only took issue um when i saw the brother uh hotel vibes he was tweeting some things that were very um and in my opinion um dangerous um, and I, I felt as though that there needed to be a separation to let people know that hey these guys that refer to themselves as Hotep Nation are not the same as this organization ASCAC that popularized the term Hotep so that's kind of what, like why I wanted to put that out there and then you and I had the conversation you was like well everybody in your movement don't have the same views you know whatever whatever but I just felt the need because he's a prominent person within y'all movement, um, and he speaks openly, you know, on Twitter under the banner of you know Hotep. That I thought that it was important to explain and that those his ideas and views are not of this um, tradition. And I felt like he was basically like catering, you know, to kind of like that alt right or white nationalist 
um, audience for whatever his you know reasons may have been. But I, I just had to make sure I put that out there because me being who I am, I couldn't like stand idly by and let that kind of like that type of confusion muddy the waters. Right, and uh, and it, it was ed- educational, and people may know like he, you know, he had his video out there. Hit him up, just hey man, like you know, very smart intellectual brother. Tell us your opinion. Hey, you got some questions? Chop it up. Exchange phone numbers. Had a good conversation. And here we are. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, and that's and I think it's just part of just building as a group as a whole. Um, you know, just in terms like you said, the the quote unquote conscious community, if you can call it, you know, and call it that, because I feel like there are many people who have just similar general ideals. Um, about the black community and stuff, but everyone kind of has different ways of going about it or the views and stuff. And I, I think that, and I think that's one of the aspects of just in in society in general, but especially in the black community, we just see this kind of a groupthink at times of for the culture. And I think a lot of people don't realize that we don't black we don't really. We create it, but we really don't create the culture. I mean, there's someone else pulling the strings oftentimes of what the culture is and what the group thinks should be. And I, I feel that there are, many, there are many vocal people in the black community, but I don't think we have true leaders in the black community today, in the mainstream level at least. Um, well, I, like, I like to say, like, we create the heat, right, but we don't own the kitchen. Mm, and, like, okay. all, all that basically means is, like, black people are the ones that are in the kitchen cooking up the culture but the kitchen is somebody else's. Right. Right. Um, you know, when Lincoln, when he was debating, um, I forget who the dude he was debating, but up, up until his president, presidency, um, there's a series of debates. I have a book of all, mm. all of Lincoln's speeches. Yeah. And um, Stephen Douglas, I think, was it? A- Stephen Douglas, I think was, was I think it was Stephen Douglas. I think, I think that, I don't, I don't want to misquote, I don't want to be wrong. Um, but I'm just saying, in these debates that he had, I'm leaning up to his, to his presidency, he was very adamant on uh, on the fact that he would uphold the system of white supremacy, mm-hmm. right? Um, he understood that, okay, the U.S., right, you, you, you know we're always pushing for what they refer to as, excuse me, we're always pushing for what they refer to as multiculturalism, right? Mm-hmm. And multiculturalism just simply means more than one culture, right? So you have this nation that has more than one culture. So what Lincoln said is that, listen, I'm going to uphold white supremacy. Right, he said, um, I understand that if we are going to be living together, that one of us are going to, meaning black and white people, one of us are going to have to take the position of inferior and the other the position of superior. He, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says basically that I am for the white man, you know, being the superior of the two. So that basically means that, you know, the culture of black people is a subjugated culture. Um, so we, we are forced to assimilate into the dominant culture. But here's the kicker. Assimilation means to take on the values, beliefs, and practices of the dominant group. Well, if the dominant group is anti-you, and you are taking on those viewpoints, then you yourself are anti-you. Which is why a lot of us are anti-black, um, or we're anti-African. We don't want shit to do with Africa. That's, that's why they can secure people away from Garvey real quick, because... They say, well, Garvey wanted to take y'all back to Africa. And, you know, niggas like, oh, no, we need time to go back there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's like, that's, that's just kind of like, um, you know, you were talking about culture. Like, yes, we, we that, that spirit that we have, we produce the culture, but they own the kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of us, like, we don't want to own our kitchen. We just want to be a manager or a supervisor in their kitchen. We're happy with that. 
Right, and and referring back to your point with Abraham Lincoln, I actually had done a little thread about that before. It was uh, 1858, in a series of debates for Illinois' race for U.S. Senate, his opponent was uh, Stephen Douglas, and he accused him of supporting Negro equality. And that's like calling someone that time a Negro equalist was like the same as like calling someone like a neo-Nazi nowadays. Like, oh, how could you? Like what? Exactly. <laughs> no, no, I know. So you know, and and that's just, and, and to that point though, I think just to, in terms of the perception of Africa. And I think in today's society, unfortunately, we society has painted Africa as as, as this like oh, oh, a civil war, uh, uh, um, war in an area that's you know that's impoverished, um, that they you know don't tr- contribute to society. There's you know um, children, child soldiers and stuff. It creates such a negative uh, impact, I think, image. And as we know, Africa is a very I mean, it's a large continent, entire planet, and. I think we create that general bias because I think just again psychologically they don't want black people thinking of Africa with any type of real positive traits to it, and like I said, they don't want they don't want us being independent going back there. <laughs> um, Not true indeed, but um, every other nation on this earth is in Africa right now trying to China. make claim, <laughs> you know, for themselves, and that's without regard to anybody. You know, Dr. Clark used to say. Uh, African people don't know it. We don't owe anybody anything except for asking. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we have to understand that we don't have any friends. You know, everybody wants what's ours, meaning our birthright. Right? That that land is our birthright. You know, and and us still being in existence is a threat to all people who covet. You know that land. So all those people who desire to steal from us what is ours and to leave us homeless. And the rest of the world, you know how the world works. It's like, well, listen, if black people are in this position, then this is the decision. This is the position that they deserve to be in. Mm-hmm. You know, like you get what you what you pay for. You get what you deserve. So they're saying, like, if black people are on the bottom everywhere, like, yeah, 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 we know about slavery, but if y'all still on the bottom, it's because y'all deserve to be there. So ain't nobody gonna feel sorry for you. So right now, you see China, who was once. Once, you know, in struggle, we consider, you know, the Chinese to be a close friend to our struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you see them very heavily, you know, on the African continent. You see everybody. Mm-hmm. There's not one group of people who is not there um, exploiting, you know, and the Arabs were the first to come in. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's, that's first to enslave us, too. Whole nother conversation. But everybody who's there now and who is not black is there to exploit or to colonize, mm-hmm. without exception. Right, and you, and you see, like, Africa, unfortunately, I mean, it just was uh, just privileged and pillaged. I mean, in terms of, you know, from the French going in, to the Britain going in, people, everybody has exploited. And, and one thing I just see in society in America, there's at times this disconnect between African-Americans, right, and, you know, people native from Africa. And one thing I always, like, I work in education, right, I work with kids. And one thing always kind of makes me mad where, like, I see, like, regular, like, African-American kids will like make fun of like an African kid for being for knowing for knowing their roots and being African. And it's like, mm-hmm. yo, you, you, you do know like we're 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 the same people, we're the sense of like we're we're like we're all this together. Like we you come from Africa too. And Yeah, it's like it's it's literally you know, if you have a let's say you, you, you have a, a, a very wealthy family, right? You have a family, husband and wife, and they got six kids, right? And one day some, some scary men are out in the woods when the husband is going out to go find something to eat, you know, or he's going out, you know, just for a walk. And they, they kill the husband. Then they come back and they kidnap five of the kids, you know, to take 
some of the kids to Europe, take some of the kids to the islands, they take some of the kids to South America, they take some of the other kids to North America, mainly one kid behind um, at home. And that's, that's the African story, right? So the African story is like, you know, as brothers and sisters, you know, the, the, the slave project or the slave experience has, has spread us all over this continent, you know, but we're still brothers and sisters. But now it's like we're looking at each other like we're enemies because we have different cultures and different tones. You know, you may have a natural a natural African tongue or dialect, or you may have that of the colonizer. You may be speaking French or English or Spanish or Portuguese. You know, whoever whoever it was that came and colonized you. But now we've become become like the slaves who are taking pride in who our masters were. You know, like oh, my master has a plantation that has a hundred acres. And you're just working for that master who has two acres. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's, right. it's that type of like ignorance. But what's even sadder now is. You know that that guy that raped us. You know all, all the brothers and sisters. Now he is back in Africa, and he moved in with the mother, and he's raping her every mm-hmm. day. You know, and, I, and our, our, our little brother and little sister is still there. Um, but we all, you know, it is what it is. And it's unfortunate. And I think just in general, people don't understand just the whole, you know, African diaspora just from a global aspect. And understand like we're taken so many other places. Also, we were indigenous so many other places as well. Even before we were taken there. But just like, all right, you like, I see in today's society, right? I could ask, like, people who are obsessed with this whole obsessed with seeing me being foreign. It's like you ask someone, like, oh, what their ethnicity? Someone may say, oh, well, um, like, oh, are you, are you black? No, but I'm, I'm Jamaican. I'm, um, I'm from, I'm from the islands. I'm, I'm, I'm Dominican. X, Y, and Z. They name all these places that are native African, like, black, black places. And not understanding that these places. Well, I, I, let, let me, let me push back on that because I think a lot of us, and I think some of it is oftentimes to do with our desire to escape from blackness or Africanness. Um, a lot of people look at, like, um, Ivan, Ivan Vincertimer, who also is from ASCAC, the Association for the, the, Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations, um, produced a book in the early 90s called um, uh, They Came Before Columbus. Um, and he's basically talking about during the prehistoric period, um, Africans came over and not only did trade, right? They were able to identify that they did trade because there were certain plants and foods that are only indigenous mm-hmm. to the African continent. Those things are found here um, in, in America. And then vice versa, certain things that were indigenous here, we saw back um, in Africa. But then there were certain cultural and um, um, cultural materialistic relics um, that they found in these places that, that they say, oh, the African people had to be here. Right? So I, I, I completely wholeheartedly agree with that point. Oftentimes what we try to do, though, is we say that the people that were here when when the the, Euro, the Europeans got here were black people like who we are today, mm-hmm. and that is something that is not true. I think that those that often gets like conflated and distorted, and I think the reason why that is again is because a lot of us desire to be something other than who we are. But I think that it's it's well documented because one of the things the Europeans did that was great is they didn't hide their barbarism. They didn't hide their tacti- tactics, right? When you, whenever they went to, uh, to to conquer a new group of people, they were very detailed with, you know, what those people looked like, um, what their cultural practices were, like all those things. You know what I mean? Like all those things are documented to detail, like in their in their diaries, talking about how they raped people, mutilated them, like all, all these things. It's, none of it is hidden, so they wouldn't hide the fact that, you know, if there were black people here that looked identical to black people that were um, 
um, on the continent, they would have absolutely like detailed that um, in the records. So I think that that part right there is, um, I think that that is a modern day um, confusion that many of our uh, many of our uh, our scholars did not have, right? Because like Ivan Van Sertimer wasn't making the argument that the people that Columbus saw when he got here were black people. He was making the argument that black people had already visited mm-hmm. here or had had contact with here before Europe. So right. two different arguments. Right, and especially um, like in Mexico and, and La Venta uh, with Olmec heads mm-hmm. and um, you mean discovery there and just also, the, like you said, the different, the, the plants, the botany, the ar- archaeologically, like the presence, we, the pr- African presence more or less that we were, like you said, we were here before African, we left culture. The African presence is everywhere. Right. Right, because we are, we're the first people on the planet, so we, we populated the entire landmass. So if you, if you go digging, which a lot of people don't want to dig, but if you go digging, you're going to find us everywhere. It's not going to be a place that you don't find us. Right, the deeper you go back in history, the more black it gets at times. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, and it's very interesting. All right, so man, uh, so let's kind of just kind of summarize things and get you out here on this. Um, so one aspect I see, like, you know, in your bio, you talk about, you know, going from poverty consciousness to race consciousness. So like, what, what, what does that mean and how will you do that? Oh, wow. So, I mean, for me, um, Poverty conscious, I think I say in the Bible, and in, in my bio, uh, poverty conscious is like, you know, the desire to make it out. Like, it's like, I need to escape from my situation. Like, you know, I gotta, I gotta find a way to get some money, I gotta get up out of the situation. Whereas the race consciousness is like having an understanding of your situation, meaning who's manipulating your environment to create it the way, the way that it is, and then proactively doing something about that. You know, like those are those are two separate um, consciousness. Like, um, uh, I a lot of folks do not have race consciousness, so it's like they are. Um, I, I like to say um, people are trying to run to the run to the thousandth floor in a building that's on fire. Mm-hmm. And what that means is, you know, people are like, "Yo, I'm trying to be a billionaire. Like, yo, I'm trying to get like money," but like, like. All of these things that you are trying to do, you're trying to do within the confines of white supremacy. And let me let me explain to you like how that works and how we uphold white supremacy, right? Because white supremacy really is like it's like it's so prevalent within our lives that like we underestimate like how prevalent it is. Like I mean, just beyond like our naming right and the naming conventions of the maps or even the orientation of the current map being a, a north a north uh, uh, down map versus a south up map but meaning like the time you know like our mumps you know are named for either um, named um, inspired by either Greek gods or uh, or um, or Roman uh, or Roman leaders right like our, our calendar the the, 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 grid, the Gregorian uh, calendar that we have uh, Augustus by by the Roman Catholic Church, mm-hmm. right, which is an element of, of white supremacy, like our dollar, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the dollar value, the, the, the money that we have, um, is another, um, you know, aspect of white supremacy, you know what I mean? Like, like it's so, I don't know, I need, I need to write about this in order, to, in order to be very detailed and thorough and give it the treatment that it deserves, but like at the end of the day, ultimately, a lot of black people aren't necessarily looking to build their own system 
and they are looking to carve out a comfortable space for themselves within white supremacy. Um, but I think that that is a foolish journey because when you truly understand racism, like you understand that you know the, the, the our opponent is never going to allow us to peacefully coexist with them because we are a, a threat to their, you know, we're a genetic threat. You know, they feel like if we're allowed to kind of like populate and if we're allowed to kind of grow uninhibited, then we will easily kind of like outnumber them. And if they don't, you know, kind of like keep a lid on our success, then we will easily just basically control the situation. So they maintain this system through dominance, through power, through murder, through, you know, just injustice. Like, this, that's how the system is maintained. But we have people that are trying to figure out a way how they, too, can do well within the system. So I think that that's, that's a poverty consciousness. Like, a race consciousness is saying, man, listen, like, I already have everything that I need. Like, that's my land. I need to figure out how to, like, get it back. I mean, my race consciousness is, what, what do I need to do to um, obtain power as a race, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's when you become like a race first person. It's like everything that I do needs to be something that is strengthening my race. You know, how I'm spending my money, who I'm marrying, um, you know, who I support. Like everything has to be making sure that it's strengthening my race. Um, but the problem is, you know, if we all don't have that collective consciousness, and again, like we'll just be letting like our steam dissipate because you'll be pouring your money to support the race. Like, for instance, people are always talking about, well, bank black, but a lot of those black bank- banks don't have a race consciousness. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, I'm banking black, but they ain't doing shit for the black community. You know what I mean? Like, so they, they're they worried about escaping and coming up, too. So if they don't have a race consciousness, if, if they haven't been politically um, educated the correct way, then, you know, they'll just turn around and be like another white man to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And do, right. and do to us what the white man has been doing to us forever, so... Yeah, I don't know if it answers your question. No, no, I think it breaks it down. And I, and I think it's in, in very important that we have that race first and understand when you, you have the identity that's not... I think some people are just so skeptical of, 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 of labels and things. They think you go race first, that means, oh, it's reverse racism or something. Like, nah, man, it's, just, it's, it's naturalism. You got, we got to support each other first. And so race first is understanding that we've been put at the bottom by design. So right. that means that we have to intelligently and by and by design work to change the situation. You can't you can't change the situation by ignoring the obvious. <laughs> right. Like, and, that doesn't make much sense. Right, and and I think it's and that's why at least for me sometimes I get a little weary about the whole kind of POC people of color aspect and that whole generalization. Yeah. Um, I kind yeah. of try to stay away from that because, again, I do respect other minorities. Yeah, they go through some similar aspects of, but in in the day, I mean, some people, example, like people want to always sympathize with like Muslims and Arabs. It's like I get it, you go through messed up stuff, but Arabs were first people to enslave us. <laughs> I mean, like. It, 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 there's there's certain aspects to it's a slippery slope, uh, more or less. Yeah, I don't, w- I don't believe the, uh, the intersectional calculus, and I don't believe in alliances of weakness. You yeah. know what I mean? I feel like we, we need to strengthen ourselves as a race, and then at that point, then we're in position to help others. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? If you can help nobody else until you help yourself. Right. We be, I think as we, we, we've been weakened by all these alliances mm-hmm. that have really only served to keep us in a position that we're in quite as kept. But um, because we've been weakened by these alliances, we believe that we can't do anything on our own. Like, we have to have white people helping us. Mm-hmm. 
or you know at worst leading us you know what I mean in order to, to get somewhere right you have to understand like just, just dig this black people in America haven't gotten anything without the government like using their pen yeah. right everything that we've gotten we've gotten via the federal government right so it's like black people really believe that the government is in that best interest but like what I like to say is that you know those are, those are all false treaties you know when you're trying to kill or you're trying to like conquer a people of course you'll sign a false treaty because that just kind of like diverts or changes the nature of the war right it kind of like rocks your enemy to sleep but at the end of the day like you're still my enemy I'm still trying to kill you right. I'm <laughs> making you think that like I'm calling a truce but no I'm still like trying to fucking exterminate you right, right, right. <laughs> you know but now but now I have an easier job doing it because I told you that I gave you civil rights you know so <laughs> Yeah, man, it, it definitely gets deep, and I and I think just in general, the black community as a whole, I mean, they're definitely very, you know, obstacles and barriers are definitely in our place, but I think we we can go beyond those obstacles and barriers. Um, we have the power to do it for, for most degree. We, we can go beyond that, and we can have, create that, be self-sufficient and support each other, and that's really come down to it, really just knowledge of self and supporting each other and trying to uplift. Um, yeah, but you can't do that. You can't do that in somebody else's house. You know, like you can't do that outside of nationhood. If, 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 and and that's the point that most people don't get. Like they talk self-sufficiency, they talk self-reliance, um, but true self-reliance is having the ability to feed, clothe, protect yourself, control of your education. You know what I mean? And, and we don't have that. And we're not fighting for that. Mm-hmm. We're fighting for a, a bigger share of their dollar. That's really it. That's what we create. Self, we, we equate self-sufficiency with that. When the dollar is not represented by anything, it's not represented by land, by gold, by any resources. It's represented by the idea that the status quo, which is white supremacy, will remain intact. Right? And business, um, one of the things in accounting, you have this principle called the going concern. And that, that just simply means that this business that I'm about to invest in, I'm investing with the understanding that it's going to continue to operate as a business you know, into the foreseeable future. Well, it's the same thing with white supremacy and the dollar, right? When I'm putting all, because the dollar is only backed by consumer confidence in the dollar. Right. Right? We believe that the dollar is going to, um, you know, stay strong, and that's because we believe that the system that supports the dollar is going to stay strong. And that system isn't capitalism. That system is white supremacy, meaning we believe that white people are going to remain dominant and that white people are going to maintain control over the resources of the earth. So in that regard, like, why would I give a fuck about making a billion dollars? Like, I mean, that's, I can wipe my ass with that money. Right. I should be more concerned about, like, how do I get control over these resources, which are mine by birth. I mean, like, come on, like, this is your birthright. Mm-hmm. That they, you know, at the, um, the Berlin Conference in 1884, you know, Belgium, uh, the French, the British, you know, everybody, they sat at the table and just carved up Africa. They was like, all right, this piece of land is yours. Right, this right, right. Yours. Mm-hmm. This is yours. Uh, these are your territories. Mm-hmm. And, and they just drew, drew all the borders. You know, like I was talking to a Nigerian brother one time. I said, brother, like, you're not even Nigerian. I said, because he, he was saying, he's like, I'm an African, I'm Nigerian, right? I'm like, well, brother, you're not even Nigerian, right? Do you know that the name Nigeria was given to that land and those peoples by a British woman in the year 1854? Mm-hmm. Like, who were you before that? You right. know what I mean? So, like, they sat at the table and they carved up Africa. Like, and they are still moving, like, listen, fuck these people. These resources belong to ours. Like, so y'all gonna be homeless in your own land. And that's kind of like, that's kind of like what it is. So, like, for me, I'm not a socialist, I'm not a capitalist either, right? Because this is what I understand that, that capitalists don't understand and the socialists don't understand. Right? Economics, here's the definition. 
Economics is the optimal allocation of resources under conditions of scarcity. Capitalism and socialism deal with the allocation. They don't deal with how the resources are obtained. The resources are obtained through strength, through power, through military conquest. Right? That's how you obtain the resources. And then you can allocate them with one of those two systems, either capitalism or socialism. But obtaining them is where is where I focus. Right? Um, the boys wrote an article in 1915. It's called The War for Africa. Um, and on the second page of that article, he talks about how those resources are, are obtained. He says resources are obtained through murder, through rape, through pillaging, through rum, and through fake treaties. Right? That's how the resources are obtained. So people talk about capitalism, that just tells how to allocate it. People are upset because they feel like there's an injustice in how wealth is allocated. Well, I feel like black people should be upset, not because there's an injustice in how wealth is allocated. You should be upset because this wealth that's being allocated has been fucking stolen from you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real reason to be upset for. Like, not because, you know, 1% of the population has, you know, this percentage of the wealth, like, you should be upset because, like, nigga, they stole all this shit from you. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, man. Again, again it kind of goes back to the kind of lack of knowledge of self and just in general knowledge and just, and just, and just kind of just in general, just not understanding things. And yeah, man, it gets, in the word of Kendrick Lamar, it gets deep, nigga. It gets deep. It's <laughs> <laughs> really deep. But, uh. We gotta get Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar to stop worshiping him like supremacy, though. He, yeah, man. Yeah. On Appreciate other words. Um, so, man, where can, where can we find you on social media and where people can reach reach you? I'm at Omawali Africa um, on Twitter, um, and I'm at Omawali Africa on Medium. Medium is where I kind of like do a lot of writing, kind of like flesh out my thoughts. Um, but I'm working on a book right now that I'm going to release. Hopefully, by the by the end of 2018, it'll be done. Um, but you know, I treat I treat my blogs on Medium like like mixtapes, right? I just keep dropping mixtapes in preparation for the album. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So if you want to check out my writing, you can just check me out on Medium. But other than that, you know, I'd be on Twitter talking shit. Thanks. Hey man, well definitely man, great knowledge today, brother. Uh, I appreciate you coming on here. I hope everyone is definitely learn something at least walked away with a different mindset or at least just have an open mindset to something new um but yeah man as usual guys make sure you stay tuned you stay hip and stay connected